The reading today is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, on page 1056 in the Church Bibles. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Good morning. Do uh, keep that passage open. And there's an outline on the back of the service sheet to follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, Let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. And we thank you that we can come to you and approach your throne of grace with confidence that you will listen. Please help us now to learn more about your character. Amen. It's nearly the end of January, uh, one more Monday in January. So here's a little quiz question. According to Sun Life Insurance, and I don't know why they're taking up this poll, what percentage of people in the UK give up on their New Year's resolution by the end of January? What percentage of people give up on their New Year's resolution by the end of January? Have an answer in your head. And the answer is 43%, apparently. I think actually that's quite good. (laughs) But anyway, 15% apparently admit to previously um, uh, stuck with their resolutions all year long. 57% give up by the end of February. Over a quarter of Brits, 28% last just two weeks. Sticking with something is hard work. Sticking with something is hard work. Well, over the past couple of weeks, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. You remember our exam question from a couple of weeks ago. Has the kingdom of God come? Yes, no, or other? Well, two weeks ago, we saw part one of the answer. Yes, God's kingdom has come because God's king has come. Uh, Salvation is available through faith in the king. Then last week we saw the answer was no, not fully yet. The kingdom of God is coming in a future when Jesus, the Son of Man, returns. And Jesus gave us a resolution last week to desire that day, uh, to not be distracted or attached to this world, and to endure suffering. We look down at verse 33 in chapter 17. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. 
We saw, didn't we, that standing shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, the Son of Man, is the right way to live. The world will say we're losing our lives. It's pointless. We're wasting our time. But Jesus encourages us and that we will end up keeping our lives. Now, he could have left it at that. But Jesus has the emotional intelligence and the pastoral insight to know that this will be hard. So if you look at chapter 18, verse 1, it's why he told them this parable. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Just like New Year's resolutions, I guess Jesus knows it's difficult for people in the first century and the 21st century to wait for his return. It's hard to suffer injustice and to wait for God's kingdom to come, to depend on him in prayer and not being attached or distracted to this world. I grew up watching The Simpsons and there's one episode where uh, the dad, Homer Simpson, offers these words to his son Bart, these words of wisdom, who wants to give up the guitar. He says this, if something's hard to do, then it's not worth doing. You just stick that guitar in the garage next to your karate outfit and your unicycle and we'll go and watch TV. Now the fact that Jesus tells this story shows the real temptation that we could have a similar attitude when it comes to waiting for God's kingdom to come, to actually give up. A rough time from others at school, at work it's difficult following Jesus, at home when we publicly declare our allegiance to Jesus, making sacrifices for the sake of Jesus and the going out of the gospel message. It's hard work. And so Jesus encouraged us to keep going, uh, to keep praying and not lose heart. And the way he does it is not through a guilt trip, but teaching us about the character of the one we pray to. So why should we keep praying and why should we keep praying and not lose heart? Because, our first point, God cares. God cares and will give justice to his people. <clears throat> this parable is like a legal drama. And we're introduced to two characters in verses 2 and 3. So if you look down at verse 2. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Jesus is clear that this judge is the pantomime villain of the story. I imagine um, Al Pacino being cast in this role, like from The Godfather, quite scary, neither cares about God or people. And he's self-aware enough to know it, that he says so himself in verse 4. That's what he's like. What a disaster is to have a judge who doesn't care about people or justice. And then the other character in the legal drama is in verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, to be a widow in Jesus' day was a vulnerable existence. If your husband died, the chances are that your income died with him. And unless you had a son who could look after you or a brother who could take you in, you were very vulnerable. There's no welfare state. There's no pension plan. There's no life insurance policy to fall back on. 
In this drama, I imagine Dame Maggie Smith playing this widow, at tugging at the heartstrings. And the key issue is justice. That word comes four times in this parable. The widow has been wronged. Now, Jesus hasn't filled in the, the particulars of this case. Now, what's clear is that she is being wronged. She's defenceless, and she wants the judge to put things right in her case. And what is also clear is that she is doggedly persistent in her pursuit of justice. In verse 3, she kept coming to the judge. Verse 4, even stronger, she's beating him down by her continual coming. We can imagine it, can't we, in the legal drama? Um, The judge walks out, he heads to the Jerusalem Royal Courts of Justice. He gets to the end of his drive And there she is to keep him company on the walk to the train station to put her case before him. When he walks into court at the beginning of the day, he looks, takes his seat, and there is the widow in the public gallery by way of reminder, waving at him. He goes to lunch at his favourite restaurant to find out that she's booked the table next door to him to keep putting the case before him. And then she makes sure that she's at the end of his drive again at the end of the day to make sure that, well, his final thoughts before bed is her case. I imagine she sends him letters, bombards him with tweets. It's relentless, persistent pleading. In fact, the expression beat me down in verse 5 is a a Greek expression that can refer to giving someone a black eye. That could be metaphorical, but it could be a physical threat that this judge is facing. So perhaps it shouldn't be uh, Dame Maggie Smith in a role, but a a Joe Brown-type figure, someone who who takes no prisoners. Although if you see her around this week, um, don't tell her I said that. But after her persistence, a breakthrough comes. Have a look at verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This is a totally self-obsessed judge. He's not worried about his reputation here, that's clear. He doesn't care what other people think about him. But he's tired of her persistence, so he acts to get her off his back. And Jesus' big point in telling this parable is that God is not like this judge. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Jesus' point is seen in a compare and contrast. The unrighteous judge gives justice when he doesn't even care. And so the point is, well, how much more does God give justice to his elect, his chosen people, who he loves and cares deeply for? The implication, a lot more. If this judge gives justice to this person he doesn't really care about, will God give justice to the people he does care about? Well, of course. Now, I take it that Jesus picks the image of an unjust judge because 
Jesus might be worried that disciples might misunderstand the character of God. Worried that they could slip into the trap of thinking that God is in some way like this judge. That he's not loving. That he doesn't actually care about me. That he doesn't have my best interests at heart. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, Jesus wants to encourage us uh, that all those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus are God's chosen ones, the children he loves. That really bolsters our assurance, doesn't it? That we pray with complete confidence that God is interested in us. He cares deeply for us. Our prayers have been heard They are answered, and they will be answered finally and perfectly when Jesus the King comes. Now, verse 7 and 8 can bring up issues, can't they, if you look down? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Jesus has just talked about a delay. And we could think here that he's talking in terms of timing, that Jesus is emphasizing that return could come very soon. But we, uh, we can then have to understand that as in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, God's, to God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. But God doesn't work in the same timescales as us. At 2,000 years, yes, is a long time for us. But for God, that's like 48 hours from Friday morning until now. But these verses could also be taken to mean that justice will come abruptly, as we saw last week. When Jesus comes, it it will be an unexpected interruption of everyday life, without specifying when that will be. It's the next thing on the divine calendar. And when we anchor these verses with the Preceding verses in chapter 17, that seems to fit well, doesn't it? We saw last week in the, in the Noah scenario, the flood came suddenly, just as the destruction came on Sodom. So verses 7 and 8 say that God will certainly put things right for his people, even though he seems slow to do so. And when he acts, he will do so swiftly. When he comes, there'll be no uh, year-long public inquiry. There'll be no statement from Jesus' press officer saying, I understand your cries for justice, but it would be inappropriate to comment further whilst the inquiry is ongoing. There'll be none of that. There'll be no independent review that's long overdue. When Jesus comes, justice will come speedily. And so when we've grasped the character of God, who he is, well, the application is pretty clear. It's what Jesus has been saying. That God cares and will give justice to his people, so keep praying. So keep praying. Not losing heart as we pray for God's kingdom to come. Let's again remember Jesus' whole purpose in telling this parable, verse 1, that we ought always... uh, ought to always pray and not lose heart. Now, these are not two separate suggestions from Jesus, that prayer is always connected to not losing heart. Uh, Why? Because when we give up on prayer, 
we inevitably lose heart. And when we lose heart, we often give up on prayer. And let's again remember the kind of prayer Jesus speaks of. When we think about last week, this is praying for God's kingdom to come. Praying for Jesus, the Son of Man, to return. And for God to give justice to his weary and beaten down people who are losing their lives. Physically, metaphorically. You see, God's people, we live in a world in which they are assailed, assaulted, and sometimes annihilated. And so in face of that, they must never give in, lose heart, or throw in the towel. That's what Jesus is saying. They must keep praying for God to put things right. This prayer requires unrelenting tenacity. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the post office scandal. It seems it's a story that's like a black hole that's sucking everyone in, hasn't it? And it really affected lots of people. It's described by the public inquiry as the, the most widespread British miscarriage of justice in modern times. More than 700, so I think that's about 900 actually, sub postmasters and mistresses had their lives reputations ruined by allegations of theft and false accounting with many left bankrupt or in prison and some tragically took their own lives well if you've seen interviews with uh, people who've suffered on the news it's heartbreaking and it received um, renewed public outrage following ITV's drama about the campaign led by wrongly accused sub-postmaster Alan Bates He has been persistently crying out for justice for decades and others with him. Now, that is the sort of attitude Jesus wants in his disciples in their prayers. Now, they must not give in or lose heart in this matter. And so Jesus is not telling this parable to guilt trip us, but to encourage us with the character of God that motivates us to pray. And so maybe you're on the commute or at the desk before work or with a bowl of cereal or a cup of tea or you're on the sofa or in bed at the end of the day and you've got your Bible open and you're conjuring up the energy to pray. Well, in that moment, we can remind ourselves, who is the God that, who's on the receiving end of those prayers? Or it's Tuesday week and the notice was given earlier, 7.30 p.m., Perhaps you're deciding whether to come to the prayer gathering or do one of the other million things on the list. Well, in that moment, we can remind ourselves, who is listening to our prayers? Who is listening that makes it worthwhile to join with others in corporate prayer? Is the God we pray to, like the judge in the story, indifferent to his people, unconcerned about the world below? No, of course not. He is not like the judge. Instead, the reality is that Jesus wants us to be certain that God is our Father. As we'll pray later, our Father in heaven. He is our Father who hears our prayers. He listens and resolves that one day he will come and deal with all injustice. He will put things right. That is the God we pray to. Day and night. The American pastor, Tim Keller, said the only person who dares 
wake up a king at 3am for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of day and night access to the Lord through faith in Jesus. Bishop J.C. Ryle says the name of Jesus is a never-failing passport for our prayers. And so when we're praying, we're not trying to twist God's arm. And we're not trying to be like the three-year-old asking for something over and over and over and over again until they grind their parent down into submission and they give something to them out of sheer desperation. Instead, our prayers are fueled by a deep conviction that God is just and that he is good and that our cause is right. But Jesus wants us to be certain about the God we pray to and that will keep us going. And yet, did you spot, he notes on an end of challenge. He ends on a note of challenge. That second half of verse 8 Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's not that we are saved by our prayers or accepted based on the amount we pray or what we pray. Jesus queries whether he will find people praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And linking verse 8 with verse 1, Jesus is saying that, that faith in him trust and dependence in him for salvation will show itself in persistent prayer and not losing heart. But again, I take it that Jesus tells this parable because he knows there are times when prayer will be hard for his disciples, when we will be tempted to give it all up. There may be times when we have no emotional energy and no warmth of feeling to pray. And maybe a, a creeping conviction of pointlessness slithers into our minds. And we find our motivation has a slow puncture. But Jesus says his disciples ought always to pray, crying out to God day and night. Now this is where one writer calls anyway Christianity has to kick in. You don't feel like praying. You imagine it useless to do so, but you do it anyway. And you do it because Jesus says so. His disciples must always pray. There is often simply a certain doggedness about the Christian life. And yet we often fall out of the habit of persistent prayer because there are seemingly little consequences to our not praying, if we're honest. Now, we get in trouble if we don't turn up for work or school or if we don't pay our bills. But it seems like nothing bad happens when we don't pray. So it becomes tempting to give it up. Life is busy. The squeaky wheel gets the oil, as the saying goes. And prayer is usually not a very squeaky wheel. Everything else squeaks louder. And yet when Jesus wants to teach his disciples to pray and not give up, he doesn't give us a list of practical do's and don'ts. That will probably lead us into more despair this morning, I should imagine. Instead, he simply reminds us of the character of our God and our status before him. That through faith in Jesus, we are God's chosen people. He loves us. 
and he cares for us. He is not an unjust judge. And when we are gripped by who God is and are standing before him, that will fuel our faith, expressed in persistent prayer. When we realize who God is, that he is our father, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence day or night, well, that is a motivation to keep praying, to not give up. Well, so Jesus recognizes then that because of his delayed return, we will be in danger of losing heart and of giving up. And to motivate us to keep praying and to not lose heart, he refocused our thinking on the character of God. He's not like the unjust judge. God cares and he will give justice to his people. And I'm sure that if we were to keep meditating on this passage and to think about it in the week ahead, well, we might find ourselves longing more to pray. At praying, your kingdom come. To look at the situations around the world and say, Lord, come and sort this out. I know you will. Please come and sort this out. And though we may not see justice in this life, in every instance, when we are wronged, when others are wronged, we can have certainty that God will bring justice fully and finally when the Son of Man returns and ushers in his kingdom. And when he does, his justice will be swift and sure and our suffering will seem short-lived compared to the glory to follow. But in the meantime, Jesus calls us to keep praying and to not lose heart. So let's do that now. Let's come before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not like this unjust judge, that you care deeply for your people, who you love, your chosen, elect, your children. And we thank you that we can cry to you day and night with how we are feeling, all our concerns about our lives and the world. And we do so knowing that you are the one who brings justice and you will do so fully and finally when the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, returns. Please help us to keep praying, to keep focusing on that, and to not give up, to not lose heart. Amen.